Uh, we're going to be dealing with uh, the classic prayer of the Our Father today, which Jesus told his disciples when they asked him to teach us to pray. Uh, and it's only fitting that I would start with a cute little story that you've probably heard. It says a dad was listening to his child say his prayer, Dear Harold. At this, dad interrupted and said, Wait a minute, how come you called God Harold? The little boy looked up and said, That's what they call him at church. You know the prayer we say, Our Father who art in heaven, Harold be thy name. <laughs> so if we could just uh, pray for a moment. Father, we come before you and we want to learn how to pray. We know that we don't know how to pray as we ought. We trust in your teaching. We trust in your Holy Spirit to teach us about prayer. Prayer is, in my opinion, the most vital link that we have to you, intimacy with Mm -hmm. you, being one with you. Lord, I just ask that you would anoint this message and open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive your word that we might be more contemplative in our relationship with you, that we would be closer to you, that we would see you as everything that we need in life. You're above everything and all things, more important than anything. Give us that vision of who you are and teach us to pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you wouldn't mind, uh, the first uh, scripture It's from the Amplified, Matthew 6, 6 to 15. If you wouldn't mind reading this with me, uh, it's a little bit cumbersome because it is the Amplified, uh, but I think it's important because there's certain emphasis that the Amplified puts on it, and I'd like for us to pray it out loud together. But when you pray, go into your most private room, and closing the door, pray to your Father, who is in secret, And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you in the open. And when you pray, do not heap up phrases, multiply words, repeating the same ones over and over as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their much speaking. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray, therefore, like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed, kept heavily be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven, left remitted, and let go of the debts, and have given up resentment against our debtors. And lead, bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive people their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, leaving them, letting them go, and giving up resentment, your Father, Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, leaving them, letting them go, and giving up resentment, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Thanks. Um, You know, the first thing that comes to me right there is 
how powerful that last statement is. I mean, we all need the forgiveness of our sins. And in no uncertain terms, Jesus is saying that if we don't forgive others, neither will we be forgiven. I mean, this is not a casual word that just happens to be thrown in there that doesn't have meaning. This is purposeful and honest from Jesus. It's a requirement. It's not something that we can... I mean, you can have another opinion about it, and you can ignore it, but I would advise that you don't because it's a requirement for our sins to be forgiven. Um, And sometimes those sins are reckless, as in they're not really trying to sin against us, and sometimes they're willful. And there's no qualification as to whether or not we should forgive, leave them go, uh, and give up the resentment for them. It doesn't matter whether it's reckless or willful, whether it's intended or unintentional. We have to forgive either way if we want to be forgiven. It's very important. So most of this is going to follow along with the sheets, uh, and the, the reason I created this is so that you could have these scriptures as you meditate on the Our Father, and I also wanted to create this for uh, clients to hand out. I had something in the past, but this is a little bit more complete. So the first aspect of it is the most private room who sees in secret the prayer closet, the still small voice. Uh, we have to understand that God speaks in a different language than the world, and 1 Kings 19, to 12 says, And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And, be, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of gentle stillness and a still, small voice. You know, it's like the old FM tuners that didn't have the digital frequencies. You know, there's a lot of stations, WIHS, if you've ever listened to that, doesn't have a very strong output. So you need a fairly good radio and you need to be in a good location. And if you have one of those old FM tuners, you need to fine-tune to listen in to the still, small voice. Whereas if you run across WPLR, not that I've ever listened to that, but um, you'll find out that that's a very strong signal, and you don't have to be very tuned into that. And that's the way it is with God's voice. He's there. He's speaking to us all the time. But it isn't so easy to tune in to that still, small voice. And that's why a lot of people give up or don't even try meditative or contemplative prayer, because it's not that easy. It requires a discipline. It requires a focus of our attention. And that, in our attention deficit society, isn't easy to do. But be encouraged, even though it is hard, even though it is challenging, that frequency is pumping out 24-7. He never stops. He's there. He's here. You know, be joyful. In, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. He's here with us today, and he's here with us every time we focus our attention on him. And we don't have to worry about saying a lot. You know, the next one, do not multiply your words. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's encouraging to me. Um, I used to get into a laundry list 
of prayers and petitions because I thought God needed to be reminded, but he doesn't. It says, meanwhile, the moment we get tired and waiting, God's spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of wordless sighs, our aching groans. I mean, that, that's where I wind up many of the times, is those aching groans. I, I go to the God and I, and I really don't have the words. There's a lot in my heart, and there has been a lot in my heart uh, even recently with some personal physical struggles. And, and so when I, I get there, I, I just, I really don't have much to say, but I have a lot to groan. And I find comfort in the fact that the Holy Spirit is there right with me, groaning for me, through me, with me, and in me. And I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to analyze it. I don't have to know whether or not I'm doing it in the right way because I'm not really doing it. I'm trusting that he's doing it. And, and that's what his word promises us. And that's for all of us. So don't think that you have to do anything. I mean, if the only thing that you get out of what I'm saying here today is this, that you need to dispose yourself to God in focusing your attention and yield to the prayer or the groan of the Spirit, then that's enough. You can go home and you can spend time, even if it's a minute, and allow your spirit to groan with God's Spirit, and you will do perfect prayer because that is perfect prayer. Uh, The first thing about the Our Father is Our Father. And... um, you know, that's Abba, which means daddy. And, and that's, I know we all know that, but that's really hard to comprehend and appreciate that we can call Father, the creator of the universe, daddy. You know, I mean, the implications of that are just so um, focused and intentional and profound that really I can't describe what that means. But I would encourage you to understand that your daddy is the one that you're talking to. Um, hallowed, kept holy, be your name. Uh, I think the concept in this is that we, uh, as the scripture says in Psalm 100, we enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him, worship him. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. That's how we begin. And quite honestly, as I shared with you before, Speaking from uh, personal experience lately, it's groans, not thanks and praise, that I'm coming to him with. So in order to start with thanks and praise, uh, I have to make a deliberate choice to thank him and praise him. But I can assure you that if you do make that choice, if you sit down and even think of a few things that you can be thankful for, no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what you have endured, I assure you that you can find a few things that you can be thankful for. You may need to be deliberate and recall them, and it may have happened a while ago, and you may be tempted to think, God, what have you done for me lately? But uh, if you recall the things that he has done, even if it has been a while ago, um, you can recall that. My wife and I had um, the privilege of going to the uh, Holy Family Passionist Retreat House last night, uh, a friend uh, bought me a ticket for their Easter concert. And uh, I lived in the monastery for uh, the summer of 1978, which is where I met my wife. Um, I I met her at Hartford Hospital, but I was living at the seminary at the time. And when we first got into it and they were singing a very nice uh, Alleluia chorus, 
and they had a full band and a choir and it was beautiful, but it was more than that. It was being back in that chapel again and I started crying because what was coming to me was, you know, the fact that I had prayed for a wife five years prior to that summer and, you know, he had given me that wife who we've been married for almost 31 years now and I was there with her last night again and it just brought all that back and it was just a a comforting thing about answered prayer, that he really does hear us. And I thanked him genuinely for something that I recalled many years ago. So even if you have to go back many years, you can find something to thank him for and enter into a spirit of praise. This next area is the names of God. And to be honest with you, when I meditate on the Our Father, I I many times just get stuck right here. In other words, my whole time, which might even be an hour, um, is time that I can't get past whose God's name is. Because basically it means everything. It means the forgiveness of sins, most of all. And when I start off praying, I'm just so grateful. One of the things that I'm grateful for is that he forgives me my sins. And one of the reasons I'm so grateful for it is because I keep sinning. I mean, if I could say, thank you for forgiving me, and it's over with, and I start anew, and I don't do it anymore, that would be one thing. But it keeps on happening. And the fact that he keeps on forgiving me, I can't tell you what that does for me. I need that. His mercy is renewed every morning. Thanking him for what he has done in terms of forgiveness is just amazing. I I thank him for his spirit, the fullness of his spirit. Um, And you see the names of God and the meanings of them. Uh, The third one is something I've been really uh, praying for and thanking him in advance for, Jehovah Rophag, Jehovah Heals, for health and soundness of of body. Um, He grants our success, uh, Jehovah Jireh, he's our provider, and uh, he grants us security, uh, Jehovah Nisi, freedom from fear of death and hell. I mean, what a wonderful thing to be free from not to have to worry about that, especially any of you who have been raised in the religion that I was raised where we were taught that that's where we were going, or at least purgatory. Uh, So the names of God, and and these are only some of them, you know, uh, Google names of God and see what you come up with. There's a tremendous amount. You can spend time on each one, and what does that mean to you personally? And basically, to summarize this, I would say, that God is whomever we need him to be, whenever we need him to be it, wherever we need him to be it. Um, I'd, I'd like to show a video clip. You've probably seen it before, but it's a really wonderful summary of this concept uh, of fa- Father being everything for us. Uh, basically, just as an introduction, it says, And it's a true story, by the way. A son says to his father, Dad, would you be willing to run a marathon with me? The father, despite his age and heart disease, says yes. And they run the marathon together. The son asks, Dad, can you run another marathon with me? Again, the father says yes. They run another marathon together. One day, the son asks his father, Dad, would you do the Ironman with me? Now, just in case you wouldn't know, the Ironman is the toughest triathlon in existence. 2.4-mile swim, then 112 miles by bike, and finally another marathon, 26.2 miles running in one stroke. This is a video about 
a father doing that for his son. Can we turn the lights off, please? He's everything we need him to be whenever we need him to be it, wherever we need him to be it. Uh, The next portion of the Our Father, your kingdom come. I think the fact about it is that it's really here. Uh, From that time, Jesus began to preach, crying out, repent, change your mind for the better, heartily amend your ways with abhorrence of your past sins, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, we get future-oriented thinking and asking for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, and, and many times our lives don't seem to reflect the presence of his kingdom. But Jesus was saying then, 2,000 years ago, that it is at hand. He is present. His kingdom is here. We need to operate in the belief, in the truth that it is present. Um, If we did, I believe that we would see more miracles and more uh, joy and peace and love and the fruits of the Spirit. It's challenging, I understand, but it's the truth. Um, Your will be done. His will is perfect. We couldn't design a better will. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove... What the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I know we figure out what we think his will should be many times. I certainly do. And we ask that it would be okay if that would be his will as well. But his will is perfect. He's the designer. He made the blueprint for each of our lives. The uniqueness of each of who we are, our talents, our gifts, our abilities, our convictions... Uh, our specialness he has created. And I know that we all have questions about that because we all have deficiencies and weaknesses and limitations that we wonder about and ask God if we're honest, what were you doing when you did that and made that inside of me? But he knows and he understands. We were designed, you know, on purpose, with a purpose, at a specific time. We have exactly the parents that we're supposed to have, exactly the background that we're supposed to have, even with its dysfunction. All things work together for the good. Somehow, if we can grab hold of, hold of that truth, we can find a synchronicity to life where meaning can come into our lives in the most profound ways in spite of challenging, very challenging circumstance, excuse me, circumstances. As it is in heaven, in his power, be strong in the Lord. It's not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and the desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and the sa- and satisfaction and delight. We have to understand as we uh, pray for his will to be done and as we seek to do his will, that his will is not only perfect, but actually he inspires us to do it. If we tune into that still small voice and hear that low amplitude frequency, we will hear exactly what his will is. And we will find out that we not only hear it, but we have the power to do it. 
You may not feel very powerful to do it. You may feel like as though you can't do it. But the Word tells us that He inspires us to do it and He empowers us to do it. And He's not going to lie to us. So we have to, we have to understand that that is something that we can do. Because the enemy often whispers, you can't do that. You can't resist that. You have to do this. And it's just not true. Give us this day uh, our daily bread. I, I often meditate on the prayer of Jabez at this point. There was a man named Jabez who was more distinguished than any of his brothers. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and extend my lands. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And God granted him his request. If you haven't read the little book called The Prayer of Jabez, I would encourage you to do so. It's a whole expose of this one short little prayer and the only mention of Jabez in the Bible. Uh, And he encourages us, uh, and this prayer encourages us to ask large We have not because we ask not, the scripture says. And many times we think, well, we might be bothering God or I don't want to ask him for this much. But he has he's a big God and he has good plans for us. Jesus said that the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But he came to give us abundant life. So why do we only ask for small prayers? Now, it does need to be in accord with God's will. and, And that's something that sometimes uh, gets us confused and we don't get prayers answered maybe because it isn't God's will that we're praying for or not the timing. But I would encourage you to pray large, to have him enlarge your territory. When I pray about this, I do pray for more territorial influence, uh, but I start with, you know, can I get my house in order first? <laughs> Because I don't think that the principle is, you know, he says that if you're faithful in small things, you'll be given greater things. So, you know, I want it large, but I understand that there's discipline along the way that I have to take care of the smaller things first. This to me, the next portion, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven, left remitted and let go of the debts and have given up resentment against our debtors. To me, this is the most important part about the prayer. And you've heard me speak about forgiveness before, and I'll continue to do it as I have breath because I understand that this is the most dangerous thing that as Christians or even as non-Christians, you can hold on to. To harbor resentment in your heart is tantamount to being in bondage to Satan. And that's exactly what Jesus said. If you let the sun go down on your anger... Uh, You give the enemy a foothold in your life. We're shackled hands and feet to his dungeon wall, and Satan's angels are given permission to torture us at will when we go to bed with resentment on our heart. It's just unthinkable. There isn't anything that's more dangerous. We may have a lot of things in our life that we would like to eliminate from our life. If you're anything like me, I know that you do. Uh, But this is the thing that is priority. This is the thing that prevents our sins from being forgiven, as I mentioned in the the beginning of the talk. Uh, If we do anything, if we pray anything, if we focus on anything, please focus on not having resentment in your heart. 
And resentment, is it's not as simple as going and confessing that you do and asking for forgiveness, which he gives, and then applying that forgiveness to others, which you can do. It's not as simple as that. It, it's that is a good beginning. And like an onion that peels layer by layer by layer by layer, we forgive layer by layer by layer by layer. And only that which we're conscious of are we able to forgive. So as, as we forgive on that conscious layer, God will reveal a new layer. So don't be surprised if you forgive the same people over and over again. It's not repetition. It's going to a new depth of freedom and forgiveness. And that's what it's about, is freedom. Neil Anderson says, Forgiveness is a choice, a crisis of the will. Since God requires us to forgive, it is something we can do. However, forgiveness is difficult for us because it pulls against our concept of justice. You don't forgive someone for their sake. You do it for your own sake so you can be free. Your need to forgive isn't an issue between you and the offender. It's between you and God. Forgiveness is agreeing to live with the consequences of another person's sin. Therefore, forgiveness is costly. You pay the evil that you forgive. You pay for the evil that you forgive. You are going to live with those consequences whether you want to or not. Your only choice is whether you will do so in the bitterness of unforgiveness or in the freedom of forgiveness. That's the bottom line. When someone sins against you, you will live with those consequences. When you forgive, you are going to pay for the consequences of their sin, and you're going to do it whether you choose to forgive or not. Not forgiving doesn't have you avoid the pain of the consequences of another person's sin, but what forgiveness does do is it frees you from the unnecessary suffering that's associated with the consequences of us not forgiving, and that's wonderful. That's deliverance. Uh, and, and I would also implore you, as at the last time I spoke, speaking about forgiving yourself, um, I would implore you to do this and to forgive God at this step. We technically can't forgive God in the sense that he's not capable of committing sin against us, but we have an erroneous understanding of who God is. We have faulty images of God that we've received from imperfect upbringing. So we have angry feelings against that false image of God. And what's important about forgiving God in that sense is that we need to release those angry feelings that are associated with our false understanding of who he is. So we're getting forgiveness. And we overlook that sometimes because we think, well, God can't commit sin against us, and that's true. But that doesn't mean that we don't have angry feelings against him. If we're honest, we do. I mean, who are you going to blame? God does permit something to happen, right? We've all said, well, why would God do that? You know, some terrible atrocity happens, and we say, why does God allow that? He's a loving God. It's an age-old question. Well, we don't understand, but we do get angry, and we do need to release it. And forgiving ourselves is just critically important. Um, I had a personal revelation on um, April 15th on tax day, and uh, God gave me three messages. He told me uh, to forgive myself, and when I confess my sins, like I said before, I confess the same ones over and over again, 
And he said, instead of confessing them, would you forgive yourself for each of them? And boy, that prayer is different. It's the same things. I'm not like, it's not like I'm hiding what's wrong with me from God, but I'm forgiving myself for them. And the message is that he's already done it. Jesus has already paid the price. The completion of that act of forgiveness is us choosing to do it for ourselves. And I'm the hardest person that I am to forgive, so I have to be deliberate about that. Um, the second message he gave me was to grieve my losses and, and to feel my pain. Um, distractions are only a delay of that. You can't really get away from that. We distract ourselves in this world with everything, and, um, but you can't really avoid it. You're going to get to that at, at sooner or later. And grieving losses is not only necessary, it's associated with a blessing. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. But it's very difficult to grieve in our country. The third message he gave me was, love the one I'm with, and not in the sense of what Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young were talking about, um, but in the sense that whomever I'm with, if I'm working with a, uh, a client, you know, that's the person that I should be attending to. That's what love is, is focusing our attention on that person. Many times we focus our attention on how we're feeling about our interaction with another person. But love has to do with focusing our attention on that person at that time, giving them our full attention. And by the way, uh, we're the ones that are with us more than anyone else. So if we're really going to take that message seriously, loving the one that we're with, it's supposed to be about us. Um, Lead us, bring us, not into temptation. Um, I was watching Avatar the other day for the second time I rented it, and the scene that got me the most was when he was at the Tree of Souls, as they called it. And, And I know there's some New Age elements to this, and I'm talking about that. But he was praying, and he said, basically... He says, I don't know if I'm talking to a tree or not, but if you're there, and and we've done that before, right? I don't know if you're there or not or if you're listening to me or not, but he prayed, and and it was a very, very sincere prayer that touched my heart. He said, said, I'm willing to fight. You know I am, but I could use some help. And that's where where I'm at right now. I'm willing to fight. I'm struggling with some things, and I'm willing to fight it, but I could use some help. And I think we all have those moments, and I would encourage you to pray that simple and sincere prayer. Um, Deliver us from the evil one. There's two mistakes with regard to the evil one, two extremes. One is to give him more attention than he deserves, because he's a defeated foe, he's a liar, he really doesn't have any power at all, other than the lies that we believe him And he is a liar. He's the father of lies. So he really doesn't deserve that much attention. So that's one extreme that I would encourage you not to do. But the other extreme, and probably the more dangerous in our culture, is to think that he doesn't exist. To dismiss him. To think that we don't have an enemy whose sole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy is a dismissal of a reality that is very dangerous. He's relentless. He never stops. He stands night and day before the Father accusing us. And you can hear his frequency loud and clear. 
Um, and that's why we need to put on the armor of God. I, I didn't put this portion of it in there, but I did quote Ephesians six ten to 18. I'll read you 6, 10 to 13 from uh, the Amplified. In conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. Put on God's whole armor, the armor of of heavy-armed soldier which God supplies, that you may be successful to stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against depotisms, against powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger and having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place." This is, this is a very good thing to meditate upon each day. Uh, I don't each day, but when I meditate on the Our Father, I, I get to this if I don't get stuck on his name. Um, but to put his armor on, you know, our, our loins girded with truth. And God revealed to me about that, you know, our loins are a symbol of the flesh. And the truth of the matter is that we don't have the ability on our own to stop our flesh. <laughs> you know, if you do, please talk to me afterwards and let me know how to do it because I've been trying to do it and haven't discovered it yet. But the truth is, is that God has already done it. So the basic truth relative to dealing with the flesh is that we need to understand that Christ has dealt with it, that we're free in him, we're empowered in him to have victory. The breastplate of righteousness We are the righteousness of God in Christ. It has been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. We cannot work to that. Many of us have been taught that we need to work to some good standing with God. Well, give it up. It doesn't work. It's already been done. Our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I was once running and sprained my ankle on, you know, just getting back back into uh, running. And I said, what's up with this God? You know, I'm just starting to exercise. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? And I um, sprained my ankle. Why? And he told me, because you weren't looking where you were going and thinking about what you were doing. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about two months down the road when I was going to be back in shape, you know, instead of putting one foot down at a time. We need to put one step at a time. That's where we find peace in the moment, in his presence, in the present the shield of faith that quenches the fiery darts, especially those darts of doubt that come to us all the time. The helmet of salvation. The helmet guards our thinking, you know, our thinking. That's where the battlefield is. We need to get our mind renewed, as the scripture said earlier, so as to be aligned with the truth. If our mind isn't aligned with the truth, the devil's going to have a field day with our mind. That's what he works with. That's where we hear the accusations. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And especially, I would say, if you had the sheet that I gave out last time, the the truths, the paraphrased truths about who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, that we're secure, we're accepted, we're significant in Him. 
those are things that we can use as the sword of the Spirit so as to be able to have um, a fighting chance against the enemy. I I would like to um, conclude... I'll say one other thing after the video, but I'd like to show one other video. The the quality of it isn't that good. I apologize for that, but you'll get the message, and and you may have seen this as well. Uh, We all need deliverance from something. This particular video may not be applicable to you. It probably isn't applicable to you in many ways, Um, but something of it, we all fall into something that we need to be delivered from. And there is only one means of deliverance. There is only one person who can deliver us. His name is Jesus. Watch the video, please. Like I said, he's relentless. He wanted to stop that, but he can't because Jesus has already won the battle. And thanks, Wes, for your technical ability. Um, So there, there is only one means of deliverance. He's already bought it for us. He paid the ultimate price. No matter what you're facing, no matter what what you're going through, no matter what you've gone through, he's the one that we can turn to. Uh, It's proper in the end that we say, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. We return back to that thanksgiving and that praise modality that we started the prayer with. I would encourage you to take this sheet, take this concept. Uh, This is the prayer that Jesus taught us. If there was any better way to pray, don't you think that Jesus would have said it when they asked him, teach us to pray? So we all struggle with prayer. This is a good starting point. Um, If during this time of prayer or at any other time, you feel compelled to move into what I would call the prayer of the Spirit, that uh, express of groan within your heart, Feel free to do that. Don't feel like you have to go through in your mind and go through specific steps. I mean, Jesus even encouraged us in that scripture not to worry about it. It's more of an unction of the Spirit. But to start off, to get your mind focused, something like the Our Father and meditating upon it is a wonderful thing to use, and I would encourage you to try it. Even if you try it for a few minutes a day and and increase it by a little bit of time each day until you get to the point where you feel like this is what God wants you to do. This is our most intimate connection with God. It is our daily bread. Without it, I don't know how we live, really. So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, teaching us how to pray. We thank you for giving us a specific example that is so all-inclusive, that speaks about who you are as our Father that lets us know that your will is perfect and that you've given us the power to do it, to encourage us to avoid temptation and to avoid the sin of resentment and to provide for us your armor that protects us and delivers us from evil. Lord, you just uh, know exactly what we need and you've planned it out before the dawn of time. We ask that we would yield to your will and yield to this form of prayer and become closer and closer to you. For you're all that we have, and you're all that we need. We thank you for this. Enliven our heart and inspire us to seek you more diligently, to seek you first every day, to find that everything else comes as a result, to delight ourselves in you, and understand that the deepest desires of our heart you want to give us because you've placed them in our hearts. 
Teach us the truth that would set us free. We ask for the prayer of your Holy Spirit to complete this prayer. We pray in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Have a great week.